0: This is a production of Cornell University. All right, welcome back everyone uh, to episode nine this year of the Cornell Turf Show. We're we're five weeks into our spring series. Uh, Our guest today hopefully will be John Daniels, uh, USGA agronomist for our northeast region here. Uh, Hoping to have John on later uh, talking about some of the USGA tools they're coming out with data that, that will help superintendents. Uh, and of course, if, if if he joins us, I know he's traveling around the Northeast, uh, getting some of his thoughts on what he's seen uh, out in the field here this year. But uh, as always, Frank, let's let's start it out with you and uh, what we're looking at weather-wise here, right. uh, what we've seen and what... Right.
1: Let's go up here. Up. Let's go up here to the videotape. All right. You got me?
0: Yeah, looks All good. Right.
1: Good. Okay. So uh, welcome to the show. Thanks again to the Long Island superintendents and the Met superintendents for providing the funding and for Richard Brown for just the cutest picture of a future water at East Lake, uh, golf club down in Atlanta, love a good, uh, smiley face. I think those are Legos maybe heading for my feet. So I know for many years of doing that, um, it's always good to be sure (laughs) when you got the little one on the floor, I think if you look close at the tweet, he's got his uh, shoes off too. So you're bound to get them under there. We got to start them young to get them interested in this. So, uh, Carl, uh, before I pass it to you, uh, you know, you walked us through a Masters preview a couple of weeks ago, and there was a lot of tweets about the differences between, you know, what happens at Augusta National, and there's a there was a couple of really funny ones where they showed these pictures, and then you know, like showed a car broken down <laughs> somewhere <laughs> or a mower broken down uh, somewhere. Obviously, this is something that Gets the conversation going in golf uh, every spring uh, because it's in the same place. It's familiar. And uh, as you and I know, there's an enormous amount of resources invested in that. So why don't I pass it to you here and take us through the tip of the day?
0: Yeah, Frank. So, so we're doing these tip of the days every week uh, in conjunction with our project with uh, our friends at P2I, looking at BMPs. And we actually talked about this, uh, I believe it was last week, but long grass and looking at the carbon emissions you can save from transitioning from uh, routinely cut rough to these long grass naturalized areas. Uh, And today what we wanna highlight is is not so much uh, what we can gain out of those, but how you you figure out where do I put these areas? Um, And and the the common issue that we run into is golfers. Golfers are using the landscape. They don't like long grass. Um, So how do we balance uh, the ability to potentially reduce our inputs um with hey golfers have to use this landscape and if there's long grass that inhibits them from using the golf course slows down play and makes golfers angry um so the way we can do that is through data and we're going to show you some data here um if you go to the next slide frank uh this is data data we've used with the usga's uh deacon system this is part of their deacon tool we have john on today to talk more about this but essentially what we did is we handed out gps loggers these were provided to us by the USGA to each of our golfers. Uh, We did this for almost 200 golfers at our golf course. You can see if you're watching the video here, these are the golfer tracks across the entire golf course. You can see where the golfers go, these GPS trackers uh, ping every five seconds. And we can figure out, okay, one of the many ways you can use this data is where do golfers uh, go and where do they not go? And, And you can see some highlighted areas here. Uh, Very obviously, there's a low density of golfers, maybe 2% of golfers go in some of these areas. These are great long grass candidates uh, and areas to transition. So we actually have a case study here um, about this project, how much acreage we were able to identify, uh, more than eight acres under this golf course that can be transitioned because they are low density areas for golfers. Um, So this is a really data-driven way to kind of convince your golfers hey, you know, only 2% of our golfers hit it in here. That's a low, amount enough, a low enough amount of golfers that we can um, rationalize making that long grass. So we'll talk more with John about this, but one of the many ways you can use data is to uh, outline some of these long grass areas.
1: Especially the visualization of the data, right, Carl? This exactly. is data that we collected, and we'll talk more about this with John, and he's with us, right? Yep. Yep. All right. Good, John. Welcome aboard. hope you haven't seen too much of this. Uh, uh, you know, this is uh, the number three green at RTJ um, back tucked in a corner. Not, not the greatest spot. If Gil gets his hands on it, it's going to look. Uh, Gil Hans gets his hands on. it, It's going to look very different uh, in the future, but you can see some of the damaged POA, but more importantly, when you look close Carl's uh, advertisement for bent grass, once again, uh, comes out here and you know again bank getting a bad rap for not doing well early um here's some bank uh, looking like if i had a whole putting green of it i might be able to do something with it so i do think uh as we get the season going and we talk about the weather a little bit we get a better sense of how recovery's going jed newsom uh, and western mass has been very active uh sending pictures about this um Poa went full Undertaker and it rose from the dead without me doing a darn thing. Very interesting, right? I think uh, he has been using covers. I think you can see in the background, the covers are there. So short of the covers, I don't know if he's doing anything, but certainly uh, this is good to keep track of how things are going. It's, you know, this is one of the total upsides of of these social media uh, platforms that allow us to understand how things are happening around us that, you know, actually matter. Um, so let's get through some of the weather as we get going. It was a warmer than normal week, but not by much. Um, when you look out into Western PA and out in West Virginia, to high elevations, certainly below normal, uh, as you get closer to the coast, uh, as much as eight degrees above more uh, normal all the way out on the Cape and the East end of long Island. Uh, but for sure in the zero to four degrees above normal. Now the roller coaster that are, weather person Gaetano talked about with us this morning was that it looks like we're going to be hitting pause again. Uh, Looks like we're expected to be uh, below normal for the next uh, six to 10 day outlook. Uh, So that's going to have very profound impact on the already uh, important growing degree day development. So on the left, you're seeing that um, a lot of the areas are right around normal. It's looking like a a pretty normal spring, certainly within, you know, three to seven days along the coast, and maybe behind three to seven days as you get north and, and west. Now, degree days are going to start accumulate a little, a little bit more, especially when you get into central Jersey, up the Hudson Valley, into the Connecticut River Valley, up the Pioneer Valley a little bit. You'll start to see 15 to as many as 30 growing degree days, base 50 growing degree days, uh, get accumulated in the next five or six days. So, why are we paying attention to growing degree days well you may still be considering seed head suppression seed head suppression is probably only marginal in the highest elevations mighty or early uh, ideal or early in the highest elevations marginal as you get uh, south of uh, you know basically uh, the Pennsylvania New York border once you get uh, south of that you're you're almost out of the ideal range and uh, embark and proxy in the next several days uh, if you're doing seed head suppression with these tools, the model seemed to indicate it's good timing. Now, on the order of degree, days, temperatures, and uh, for Scythia as a uh, targeting tool, as a phenological indicator, particularly for the uh, annual bluegrass weevil, uh, we chatted with Rich Buckley this morning and he reported on the ground that he's starting to see some green uh, in the Jersey area, in, in North Jersey, Uh, Green and gold starting to happen on these uh, uh, forsythias as indicators of peak emergence of annual bluegrass. And so uh, Albrecht, the professor at Rutgers, a guy who studies uh, annual bluegrass weevil down there and, you know, help people like Ben McGraw and Olga, who we had on last week, uh, study this and and get smarter about it, is saying that it's about time uh, for peak germination in New Jersey. Uh, So I think when you start to think about um, the metropolitan New York area, Long Island, I think you should check your various models and tools that you use for this uh, and begin to consider uh, scouting and looking for peak emergence, right? We talked about this at length last week, that really efficient use of the insecticide is the adulticide application if you don't have significant pyrethroid uh, resistance, is to time it with uh, peak emergence. One application, peak emergence, get that number down. Now, as Olga said, it doesn't mean that you don't use a larvicide because we've got a lot of good larvicides that you can time. And again, last week, we talked about the potential for pyrethroid resistance to impact the performance of your larvicide in the early phases uh, of that application. So make sure if you go back and listen to that, this is obviously something you want to be paying attention to. Soils warmed quick, right? Just like the air heat wave, the the two-inch soil temperatures track that air temperature pretty good. You see that we're well into the 50s. So fairy ring applications, uh, take all patch drenches, uh, fungicide drenches that we use early spring for some of our root issues. Might be a little early for summer patch. Summer patch, maybe 65 degrees. But you want to start monitoring these soil temperatures. And as my colleague Carl showed last week, a good old meat thermometer uh, will do just as well if you don't want to buy a fancy uh, tool. So let's talk about rainfall for a second. And you can see that swath through northern Jersey all the way up to the Hudson Valley, through to the Adirondacks, uh, a little bit west to maybe deposit New York, just, just uh, east of Binghamton um, this swath of of three to four inches of rainfall uh, that went up. This is the kind of thing uh, where you then look at the stark difference where it didn't rain in Buffalo and Rochester last week, and it doesn't look like it's going to be raining in Buffalo and Rochester uh, this coming week. So again, you look south, you see drier conditions, total precip, uh, and you look in that one vein and you're soaked. So one of the things that's starting to happen that Art reminded us of this morning is that now that the sun's starting to move further in the sky, we're getting the contribution from evapotranspiration, right? So you probably should be noticing some of your surfaces beginning to dry a little bit, right? And the three-day forecast is indicating that it's right gonna be dry in many areas. And as you look further north and into Northern Maine, where it's been fairly dry a lot lately, They're going to get a little bit of rainfall up there, as we say, for the five people who live up there, Uh, but pretty dry uh, for the next several days, the three day moving forward. And some of that is ET is catching up, right? We're at the quarter starting to approach half an inch for the week, right? So we're starting to lose, you know, maybe a tenth of an inch a day, getting creeping in on a tenth of an inch a day. And the outlook uh, is indicating somewhat normal precip, particularly uh, in the center area, maybe above as you go north, and a little bit below normal as you go south. So maybe on the dry side, uh, but maybe some rain coming in before Saturday, or Saturday looks like it's going to be the turning day. All right, we're going to get to our guest, and I'm going to set you up a little bit here, John. Give him my little spiel about data-driven. I really liked how the USGA has moved uh, in this direction, as other platforms have as well, but the USGA with the Deacon system making a big splash here right? And I think about how, you know, once we figured out how to use numbers in baseball, the impact it's had on the game. I mean, they're starting to change things dramatically because of what happened as a result of using more data, right? You look at a guy who completely changed his body based on data. So this is more uh, pertinent to golf uh, in particular. Are your golfers using data on your golf course for how they play? right? You know, my well, my favorite tweeter, Lou Stagner, you know, basically the guy who reminds us how much everybody actually sucks at golf, the best use Lou has, managing your expectations. But those expectations many times are going to be refined more with data. Uh, and so you're going to see more of that. And obviously, all the tools that we use to collect the data that drive the things that we manage, um, you know, are really important, two of them in particular, right? Developed in partnership with the USGA. And then we've looked at some large scale data collection tools like we've done some soil mapping at the Robert Trent Jones golf course over the years with the uh, RX 360 method that Helena uses. We did some uh, EM uh, mapping of the fairways and rough areas uh, on the golf course. And then it allows us to interpret it, that data in different ways, right? We take the soil samples uh, from the map soils And then you interpret them using the sufficiency level and you're going to treat 70% of the fairway. If you interpret that same data using MLSN, you're not going to treat any of that fairway. Now, all of this is predicated on how good your turf looks, right? So you've got to do a little bit of ground truing, even when you, you know, especially when you look at data at this scale, right? So Carl did a great job a couple of years ago during COVID showing pictures like this, put the drone up. Uh, visualized how the traffic is off the fairway. You know, you get out here uh, into these rough areas, you see the focused traffic in these areas, you see how they basically stayed off the fairway. And of course, last week when we were in Saratoga, Joe Lucas was telling us he makes them drive on the fairway, right? So, so here's use of data, but this is visual data. So John uh, was kind enough to onboard us uh, last year uh, with the Deacon system. And right away, as Carl's already showed, we have spent a couple of days in May, uh, three or four days in May, passing out these GPS tracking devices to our golfers uh, at RTJ. And this is a heat map of the data. So this is indicating where everybody tees off. Here's another forward tee. This looks like it's a popular landing area. And of course, Uh, It looks like everybody's playing to the back of the screen. Some people hit it up short. This is probably Carl's drive over here, right? So uh, Carl and a few of his buddies and his drive over here. So you can visualize the actual data using this. This again is Carl's uh, example. And I like this, Carl. This is where you took out the higher handicappers. And one of the things you, you know, uh, you know, drew my attention to, let me see if I can change the color of this thing you know let me make this color blue so you can see it so carl i think you said you know you see the spread uh for these golfers or at least the majority of them you know right down the middle on the first hole and then you go to the next hole and again you see the way bigger spread on the really good golfers right these are the less than seven handicap here's the here's the the i would call these people good golfers right around 15 Mm uh these are the really good golfers uh less than seven and of course you've demonstrated the value of that data um you know with the with the with the native area right right over here so john welcome to the show i got some cool picks uh here you are with good old pat o'brien i didn't know o'brien was a Steeler fan but you certainly as a missourian are are a chiefs fan was good to good to see that. And, you know, I was also good to see in, uh, in the USGA page, how you guys are promoting this system. Uh, and then, so here are the questions for today, John, and I'll bring you in on simple things like this. Um, how do you, what are some simple steps guys can do, even if they're not ready for deacon? Uh, what are some simple steps guys can do to get started? And what I liked what the USGA has done is the Deacon system makes it easier for me to talk about it. So I like, and talking about it with golfers essential uh, as well. So I wonder if we couldn't start with that conversation, John, welcome. Good to see you. I've been staring at yeah. those slides uh, <laughs> and not you. So, um, well, maybe let's start with the data thing. Where, where, where should guys start
2: with this? Well, I, I think, uh, well, first off, thanks. Thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here and uh, for, for the setup. Um, I, I do think, throughout the industry, most good golf course operations, they're collecting some amount of data already. Um, And and it might be as simple as going out each morning and and, and using a a moisture meter to kind of get an idea of where the greens are for that day. And then they communicate that information to whoever's gonna maybe be needing to water greens or check greens. Um, They kind of establish some type of uh, targeted uh, level that they're going to try to to water to and, and get them you know through the day where they have good turf health, but then also good playability. Mm. Uh, the difference, you know, where where you got true, I guess, data uh, geeks versus the you know just kind of more art uh, uh, focused superintendents is, you know, a lot of people take those measurements or make that that initial assessment, and then they just make a decision and go from there. They don't they don't ever record it. Or if they do record it, it's in some Excel spreadsheet that they never really sit down and go through and try to to really understand and interpret what what those numbers mean or compare year after year. So things like Deacon um, allow, you know, superintendents just an easier way to put that information in their phone and then not worry about it in the event they do want to go back and look at the last 30 days, last two years, then they can really understand. So it's, it's not like, you know, if if they want to start doing it, they have to kind of start from, from nothing, because most people are are doing some type of assessments, whether it's, you know, looking in the, the uh, buckets and seeing how many, you know, clippings they got and going, "Mm, maybe I need to, you know, back off on some fertility, maybe I need to increase my PGR uh, frequency, but you know it's just not that much harder to take an actual volume, and then once you take that volume, it's not that much harder just to put it into your phone and then have it in somewhere you can easily access. So uh, you know, th- there's a lot of capabilities with some of these different technology tools, but by and large it's, it's meant to be you know five minutes or less of your day, and it gives you a real strong historical record.
1: So that's got to be the key, right? Doing it, um, making it so it's easy to put in and Mm -hmm. easy to interpret. Larry Stoll did a podcast with me and scolded us, you know, while we want them to be data-driven, but we don't make it easy for them. Or Mm -hmm. we want it to be data-driven and we're not necessarily giving them actionable data, right? That's, that's, I think, another important thing is, you know, what is data and what is actionable data? What is data Mm -hmm. that you're going to Take action as a result. When you go out and talk to guys like the spiel you just gave us, it's only five minutes. I'm still sure you hear like, well, you know, and I don't know how much longer folks like that are going to make it if they don't mm-hmm. start doing some data in, and like many are doing it, but I still feel this through this, there's this reluctance to fine tune their practices Based on the data, they just do. Oh, it's there. I don't do anything with
2: it. Yeah, I think you know sometimes with with these programs or, or new technologies, there's this fear that it's going to be completely automated and there's no decisions made by the superintendent and his staff. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just hopefully going to be able to present it in a a, a way that you can really interpret easily and compare but you have to decide if that's a good level or not a good level. You got to decide if you want to go faster or slower. You know, if you want to, if you want to water, you don't want to water, how much. So, so it it doesn't necessarily take the control away from uh, these turf managers who, you know, are, are so good at what they do Uh, more than anything. It just kind of helps to keep create like a, a, you know, a historical record. So whether they're trying to train somebody else and show this is how we, manage our greens, this is how we manage our moisture, this is how we manage our, our growth, or to their, you know, who they report to, their, their general manager, their their board members, their owner. Um, those folks don't necessarily have, you know, the, the bandwidth to understand all the little intricate, you know, pieces that go into making good golf greens, but they can easily look at a, a graph or a chart and see, okay, you know, trend lines, this is what we've done to date. Or this is how we we compared to last year, and so um, you know, talking about your your weather that you were going over this spring, and kind of comparing that to last year, you know, you don't have to be a, a turf es- expert or a scientist <laughs> to understand that. Okay, it looks like it's been drier than normal here. Yeah, that's why I'm good. At normal- it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> so uh, it's kind of taking that same you know, there's a lot of data that goes into making those those colorful charts. And so like a program like Deacon allows you just to enter in a few data points. And then those charts are already made, you don't have to be an expert in Excel and and taking raw data and trying to create a bunch of macros. And then you know, if you have an issue trying to go back and fix it, and then where did I put it? Where did I save it? And, and then having you know, 12 different spreadsheets that don't really communicate to each other. That's right.
1: So listen, uh, then my old guy question for today, I usually have an old guy question all the time. I, I, you know, I was originally motivated to want to be better at turf beyond a four-year degree when I met Jim, the late Jim Snow. So mm-hmm. I wanted to get a master's degree and be a USGA agronomist. So I've been paying attention to all the knuckleheads that have gone before you Right, that you've uh, replaced that I love dearly and have done a great job. I mean, obviously, the 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 USGA's has evolved over the years, and now it looks like, based on what you're doing here, that it's a, a much more focus on playability. What are the kinds of things we can help superintendents talk to people about the playability of the golf course? Not mowing heights and this and that, but you know what the golfer experiences. This looks like it's a first step. What else are you guys thinking about relative to playability or things you would like to see us be doing more with regard to communicating directly about playability, which, you know, has been pretty much confined to green speed.
2: Yeah. Maybe it's it's a little
1: bit more firmness now, but what else are the kinds of things you talk about with playability that are critical for, you know, to have some data, to do that and talk to the golf
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, green speed, you know, it, it, for so many years, uh, just looking at, you know, the, the putting conditions, it's been pretty much one dimensional. And it's been, you know, we've got this, this easily uh, measured, uh, you know, uh, a tool that allows us to kind of go through and, and put a number and then golfers hear it and you hear it on broadcast. And, and then, you know, it's, it's, over the years become, well, faster is clearly better. So, you know, a 12 is better than an 11 and 11 is better than a 10. Um, and I think for a number of years, there, that, was, that was true. You know, when you look at when the late seventies, when the, the, you know, kind of modern SNP meter was released and we did a, um, like a thousand putting green survey throughout the country, you had a lot of greens that were rolling seven and a half, you know, maybe topping out at eight feet. Well, now we have tees and collars that roll that fast, and and so um, you know they're they're smoother, they're truer, and and so I think you know for a number of years that was that was a great thing, but you know just even in the last decade we've we've really seen where those excessive speeds have really taken away from some pretty cool golf courses, some neat architectural features. You know we've we've uh, reduced the number of available hole locations on greens because we're we're, you know, running these, uh, you know, golden age designs at speeds that were never even thought of. So um, now, you know, there's kind of this idea of, well, how do we, you know, how do we kind of rein that in and try to find an ideal range? Mm. And, and so that's something that, you know, I think is a popular discussion now um, using the stem meter. But uh, for the last couple of years, we at the USGA um, have been working on uh, some some other ways to measure putting green performance. And our newest uh, tool that we have that we're we're still going through a uh, uh, like a beta testing with it and, and really trying to better understand how greens vary throughout the year. But uh, it's called the GS3, and and basically it's a smart golf ball that uh, measures not only green speed, um, so we can we can correlate that back to our you know uh, historical reference point of a stent meter reading, um, but it allows us to measure the surface smoothness and trueness. So both the vertical deviation and then the lateral deviation, um, so it, it puts a, in, a a number to these uh, uh, surfaces. Um, right now, we are going through kind of a, a testing phase of looking at all different types of grass species, all different parts of the country, trying to get some good uh, baseline information. But uh, eventually, th- this tool will be available for for golf courses and. and um, It'll allow us to kind of change the, the the discussion from green speed to maybe you know at what speed are our greens the smoothest and true you know, or you know they roll true uh, because at the end of the day when you see your, your golf ball wobbling doesn't matter how fast they are you know you're, that, that's going to be kind of in your head and that's going to make you miss putts so um, that's that's one tool that that incorporates and works closely with Deacon. Um, and something we're working on as far as like kind of overall golf experience outside of the putting greens, um, last couple of years, we've also been doing some, some work with some, um, uh, like hotel, uh, restaurant management type, uh, experts looking at from like a hospitality standpoint, when a golfer steps foot on a golf course, you know, from, from the minute they park their car to the minute that they leave, you know, that entire experience. journey mapping
1: journey. Mm-hmm.
2: And so how they, how they, you know, what, what aspects and of course conditions, I mean, by and large from, you know, the initial research are, are a huge, you know, a uh, factor in their overall experience, but, you know, there's a lot more to it as far as how they're, how they're greeted, you know, how they, you know, uh, the, the condition of, you know, the cleanliness, the condition of golf carts, everything kind of goes into it, that overall experience, uh, but, but conditions and things that superintendents are directly responsible for are, are, you know, top of the list.
1: Excellent. So listen, before I got one last question before I let you go, because you didn't mention Mm -hmm. firmness. Where Mm -hmm. are you guys with firmness? Because I think getting it firm makes a lot of these other things really easier to do. Are we dialing in firmness? I mean, I know you guys developed the true firm and then Mm -hmm. there was this other uh, device that the, the, the scout, the, the mm-hmm. other one. <laughs> and mm-hmm, then the PGA mm-hmm. uses the ball with mm-hmm. the chain, the right? Right. So where are you guys at with firmness? And then Carl, you can uh, ask a question or two and we yeah. can get out of here. Where are we at? Yes. with firmness?
2: So, so we still use the um, original true firm for all our, our championship uh, preparation. So uh, here at the country club and, and, and uh, I don't know how many days, but it's coming up here pretty soon. Uh we will be, you know, using that tool along with the stint meter to kind of, you know, make sure we've got the greens um, in, in, in a consistent fashion and kind of where we want from a championship perspective. So we still use that. There's the um, Spectrum. Uh, we partnered with them to offer a similar unit that they can, you know, give a number to a superintendent that's commercially available. Like you said, the PGA Tour uses a a chain and a heavy ball, and then. Um, uh, you know a caliper to, to measure how how big an indentation is on the surface um the the gs3 that i referenced earlier um also can can measure firmness so we we put it in a a, a weighted uh, uh device drop it similar to the the true firm and and it it communicates that information via okay. bluetooth to our phone so, so, so yeah okay. so so we can yeah so it, it incorporates that as well Um, firmness is, is a a very important topic, I think with, with putting greens, uh, but, but throughout the, you know, golf course approaches, uh, uh, fairways. Um, so I think, you know, having a way to objectively measure, uh, firmness and, and kind of correlate that to, you know, your skill level of golfers and, and try to find an ideal range is, is important. And, and, you know, maybe we can push back on sometimes of these, uh, these, I would think you know a lot of times false narratives of, well, the superintendent just likes to overwater or, or you know, we're clearly doing something that, you know, versus maybe the discussion needing to be, well, you know, we could, we could utilize some, you know, some drainage in this area. We don't have any, you know, very good uh, soils that they're slow draining. Maybe we could, you know, do something in that regard. So firmness is still important. And I think to the, the highest caliber of player, it's something that's, you know, uh, on their radar equally as, as green speed or any of these other topics.
0: Perfect. Carl? Uh, on that, on that topic, John, in the last couple of years, I think there was this sort of, you know, quote unquote, COVID boom. A lot of people coming out to golf courses, spending more money. I've been seeing more projects, more infrastructure projects on golf courses. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you talk about the false perception that, that superintendents are overwatering. Really mother nature has overwatered us, uh, at least here in New York recently mm-hmm. and a lot of the Northeast are you seeing more money spent on on drainage projects uh, in your recent travels?
2: Yeah, I think last year um, throughout the Northeast, I mean, there was a lot of areas that were were pretty wet uh, throughout the golfing season, and you add more more play to those areas, whether it's uh, you know golf or foot traffic or, or golf carts. I mean, these these weaknesses really show up, especially when you go from fifteen thousand rounds to twenty to twenty five thousand rounds. So you see these. These weaknesses within your, your overall infrastructure. Um, so yes, I think drainage and fairways, uh, greens, um, even even some of the winter injury we're seeing, uh, uh, you know, guys deal with right now. Uh, you know, a lot of it goes back to drainage, and, and 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 so you know, having green a green that drains well in you know the winter early spring is important for maybe limiting winter injury. But it's equally important, you know, during July when you've got a big tournament and you're trying to get out there and mow and get people to, you know, play golf. So um, mm-hmm. I think the last, you know, since we've had two years of really good golf activity, uh, I think people are, are very comfortable in, in, in trying to address some of these weaknesses. And, and that's why we've seen this huge, you know, flurry of activity um, from a lot of projects.
1: Thanks for taking the time to join us, John. It's what a joy yeah. to have you. It's 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 well, yeah. so great.
2: That's so great. Thank you Carl, for the
0: opportunity.
1: Yeah, happy glad to have you, Carl.
0: Yep, excited to hear that the USGA working on these data things. Where we're awaiting that GS three device. We've been screwing around with children's toys and and other machines for a while now, so that's interesting to us. Thanks everyone for joining. You can find some links below in the YouTube video uh, to this USGA research. John was talking about about. Uh, You know, involving the hotel people, satisfiers, dissatisfiers, every part of the golf experience is is included in there. I'd highly suggest you check that out, uh, not just from a conditioning perspective, the experience as a whole. But uh, thanks, John, again for joining us. We'll see you guys
2: tomorrow with uh, Dr. Soldat, talking Soils. Excellent. Bye.
0: This has been a
2: production of Cornell University, on the web at cornell.edu.